My job is not to get them to behave while they're living under my roof. Um, I believe that my job is a, I believe this is everyone's beliefs are different. I believe that my job is to prepare them for life without me, to be able to have mental strength, emotional strength, physical strength, you know, and, and make good choices based on a bigger compass and a bigger North star than just what they think they should do. When it comes to building a business empire online while intentionally cultivating a thriving life at home with kids, well, there is no roadmap. It's not easy, but the great news is we're not alone. We live in a crazy world that is truly unlike any other time in our history. And if you're like me, you've got an impact of your own to make, but you're not willing to sacrifice your relationship with those that you love in order to get it. My name is Stephanie Dove Blake, and this is the Powerful Parenting Journey podcast where we'll journey together to learn what it means to be a truly powerful parent. Let's go. Welcome to our latest episode where we are going to be joined by a remarkable guest, Mike Arce. I first met Mike about seven years or so in a mastermind with Billie Jean, and his journey since then has been nothing short of inspiring for me and for everybody who knows Mike. As the CEO of Loud Rumor, Mike has played a pivotal role in the growth and success of over 3,000 gym and fitness studios worldwide. His unique approach combining ad agency services with business mastermind groups specifically for gyms has led to an impressive average growth of 89% for members in their first year. Super awesome. But Mike's influence extends beyond just business growth. He's also the host of the GSD show. It's a podcast where he invites guests to share valuable business and life insights and offers listeners a blend of professional wisdom and personal experiences. But for me, what truly stands out about Mike, however, is his commitment to his family. As long as I've known him, Mike has always been a devoted husband and father. So in this episode, we actually dive into how to be a leader in your home, which is a topic that I think is often over overlooked, but incredibly important for our kids. Mike offers some powerful paradigm shifts on views for illegal words in their home um, and invites us to think about words in our own home. You're really seriously not going to want to miss it. So get ready for an insightful conversation full of practical advice and inspiring stories about how to lead well in your home. Welcome back to the Powerful Parenting Journey podcast. I have Mike Arce here with me today, and I'm so excited. Mike and I have known each other for over seven years now, and it has been so phenomenal to watch his journey. He's always been this incredible rock star entrepreneur that I've always looked up to, and I've learned a lot from Mike over the years, especially from running an agency. And oh my gosh, here we are all these years later, and you know we're both all battened down in our businesses and doing all these incredible things. And uh, Mike and I got to reconnect at the high level summit this uh, last month. And Mike was just talking to me. I'm like, Oh my gosh, man, your kids have got to be how old now. And so I was so excited that Mike said that he would come on and just kind of share his thoughts on parenting and his parenting journey and what it's been like for him. So Mike, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. Uh, thank you. And also, I love that you have this podcast. I think it's a really cool thing. And I think entrepreneurs struggle with this. I've been a part of quite a few forums uh, where I get to network with a lot of entrepreneurs, young and old. And what I've learned is that there's a lot of people that make mistakes as entrepreneurs with raising kids. Other thing I learned is that you don't know if you did it right until your kids are like 30. <laughs> so true. You don't like, you don't know if like you did a good job until they're like 30 years old. I've been very careful of who I take advice from on parenting. So everything I'm going to be sharing today, I've learned from somebody who's got really good, happy, successful kids 
that are above the age of like 30, 35, 40. So a lot of this advice came from people like in their 60s, 70s, so on and so forth. So that's what I'm going to be sharing. That is so wise because I mean, I feel like there's a lot of young parents nowadays who are kind of like, we have a whole generation that feels like they're being raised by the internet, right? Well, we also have a whole subset of these parents that feel like they are literally, you know, they're learning how to parent via TikTok. Yeah. Most of these people don't have a clue. It could be good advice, depending on where that advice stemmed from, but yeah. we don't know. So I'm, I'm very careful of the source and I'm, I, I filter out advice very That's often. Really like I take, I, I take a lot less advice than, I, than I'm given, right? Yes, 100%. Well, and one thing I always remember about you, Mike, was uh, one of the first pieces of advice that you gave me was don't stop reading books. And so I've mm. always been an avid reader, especially when it comes to parenting and marriage, because I didn't have great examples whenever I was, whenever I first got married, I didn't have a marriage to model anything after. And I definitely didn't have a parental figure in my life that I could be like, that's what I want to be like. So I consumed books. I mean, my shelves are filled with all these marriage and parenting books. Um, but but whenever it came to business at the time, whenever I met you, I was so in the thick of it that I truly had stopped reading. Like I'd, I'd take courses and stuff here and there, but you were like, consume as many books as you possibly can. Like mm. block out time in your day to make sure that you're still learning, you're growing, you're consuming books that are on point with what you need. And so I've always loved that. So I know that you are a voracious learner and you're looking mm -hmm. for wisdom, not just information, right? And so how has that played out in, in your parenting, specifically with your kids? Like how has your entrepreneurial journey impacted how you parent? What you just said was really cool. I was looking for the wisdom of it. So one of my mentors, he's in his mid-60s. Um, his name's Dave. He's awesome. I love him. Uh, but he taught me this lesson of the path to wisdom. And so there's data, uh, there's information, there's knowledge, and then there's wisdom. For example, let's just use this outside of parenting so you can see, and then we can look at it in parenting. But uh, data is like, I know the Tesla stock is at $150, right? So that's data. I have that data. Information is up from yesterday or it's down from yesterday. That's information. I have that information. Knowledge is um, knowing that it's down because there was an earnings call and there was some news that broke that caused it to go down. And wisdom is understanding that information that has to do with X or Y can cause Z to happen. So to see it ahead and be able to anticipate mm. uh, the bridge between knowledge and wisdom is understanding. So you can know something like you ever have something in school you learned and you memorized and you definitely knew like how to solve this problem using this algorithm, but you didn't really understand it. So you, you can't really apply it anywhere else. The, the wisdom is the ability to find application in anything that you do. So for example, you take something in sales, like anchoring. I know you like studying sales. You know, the anchoring, the idea of anchoring. Yes. And for the audience that may not know, anchoring is like where you put something at like, let's say at a high price or at a high deadline, and then you drop it. So yeah, Stephanie, just so you know, this is something that normally would be about you know $12,000 to be involved in. And here's why. And you break them. Now they're all thinking about how do we justify it at 1200 And then you say, but I really do want to work with you. So if it's okay with you, I'd like to do it for about 400 And it's like, yeah. oh my God, yeah, I already in my mind justified for 1200 because you anchored me there and that's where I was. And now 400 it's an easy yes. So how do you take that same piece of knowledge and apply it everywhere? And if you can't do it, well, then it's just knowledge. But if you can, it's wisdom. So like mm -hmm. you should be able to apply anything to, let's say, building a rocket ship. How do you apply anchoring to building a rocket ship? Well, if you go to your team and you say, hey, guys, here's a deal. We got to build a rocket ship in the next 24 months. 
it has to be done. And we've got to do it with all the resources that we have. And now your team's already freaking out. They're doing math in their head. Like, how do we do this in 24 months? And they're already starting to problem solve for 24 months as you're talking. And then say, but guys, I understand there's going to be room for error. We have to create that. So I'm going to extend it to 30. And now they're like, oh, because they've already in their head. Right. That's an example of wisdom, right? Taking something and understanding the application in anywhere that it goes. Mm -hmm. And I think with parenting, the really cool thing is uh, like you've read a lot on parenting. I've read a lot on leadership. I love leadership. There's so many lessons in leadership that are 100% applicable in parenting. Um, If you understand how to take what you would do for an executive and you understand how to do that for a four-year-old. And and it's interesting how that all works. Oh my gosh. Yes. And, and simply just, I I feel like there's a lot of parents that all the things that you learn in leadership, it's so vital in parenting as well. But oftentimes we just don't think of it that way because you're technically leading your family. And I think that there's just this given understanding that, well, I'm a parent now, so I'm just going to know how to do this. But whenever you're faced with temper tantrums and a really long day and, you know, there's no shut off so how do those skills, those leadership skills rise up? So I, I can only imagine how much it's going to benefit anybody if they've studied leadership as you have. And, and, and you can take, like we're talking about, it's not just information, but actual wisdom and apply it to your life. So can you think of one of the things that you've taken from leadership that you've implemented with your kids? Yeah, a vision. If I'm your leader, I should understand where you want to be. What drives you? You know, a disc assessment maybe could help with that. Questions, understanding what makes Stephanie tick. Your strengths as an employee are usually directly tied to what makes you happy. Your weaknesses are what make you unhappy. So if you ever want to find what somebody's strengths are in an interview process, for example, you don't say, what are your strengths? You say something like, hey, what's something you've done in your previous job that you felt man, if I could do that part all day long, that would be my favorite place to work in the whole wide world. And then if they say, oh, the video editing part, I love that. That's your strength. If you say, hey, so out of curiosity, what's an area that you did in your last job that you you actually felt would have been better off delegated to somebody else? You felt would have been better in someone else's hands so you can focus on what you do well. Whatever they say is their weakness, right? That's where they don't want to be. People don't like what they're not good at. You same thing with the kids, right? So when you start asking questions like, hey, what's your favorite subject in school? Like, what, what do you wish you you only learned, right? And now you understand what their strengths are, what they're inherently like attracted to. Well, now you have a good idea as to how to communicate with them. You also have a good idea as to like what kind of things to get them in. If yeah. they like stuff that has to do with memory, like stuff like chess or is really good for them. If they like gym class and it's like obviously sports and activity and being around people might be something that's really good for them. I would say, you know, understanding what drives someone. Another thing is what makes them happy. And I think school teaches you what to learn. I think school does a bad job of teaching you how to learn and everyone learns differently. So understanding how someone learns. I also think school completely misses how to be happy. It doesn't teach anyone how to be happy. Mm-hmm. It just says you should do what you do, what makes you happy. But like that doesn't. Yeah, that's not real happiness. Yeah, because nothing should make you happy. Mm-hmm. It's better to look at it and say like, OK, well, why does this frustrate me? Or the phrase whenever my kids say like, oh, he made me mad. No, he didn't make you mad. He didn't make you mad. Something he did you didn't like. And you didn't find a way to get along with it. But at the same time, he didn't make you mad because if anybody has, and I tell this to my kids, if anybody has the ability 
to make you angry, they're your master. Mm. That's a stoic quote. That's not a Mike Arce quote. That's from Seneca, I believe. But anybody that has the ability to control your emotions is your master. Mm. If they can make you happy, they're your master. If they can make you mad, they're your master. You can allow them to do what they like and you could pick and choose how you want to feel. Uh, but then if they, you do feel a certain way, not to bottle it up, not to react, but to think. So like if my kids are mad, be like, hey, why does that make you mad though? Because I don't like that he did that. Yeah, but people are going to do things. There's 7.2 billion people in the world. You're going to come right. across people that do things that you may not want. But why does it make you mad that what he did like caused that? Or what, what is it about him doing that made you mad? How come you, you couldn't just say, well, that's what he does. Yeah. And then you kind of start centering it around it. Um Emotional intelligence is where I learned that. There's a really good book called Emotional Intelligence 2.0. I love that book. Yep. And Marcus Aurelius is one of the greatest emperors, actually the fifth of the five greatest emperors of Rome. And people followed him not because they feared him, but they followed him because they loved him. They loved his vision for Rome. And his son, Commodus, ruined it. If you ever watch Gladiator, Commodus is Joaquin Phoenix's character. Yes. Horrible. Yeah. In the movie, he killed his father, Marcus Aurelius. In real life, he didn't kill him. But nevertheless... Marcus Aurelius, one of the greatest Stoics, and a lot of people think Stoic means being even keeled and not having emotion. That's not what Stoicism is. Stoicism is your ability to control your emotions, not not have them. That would make you a sociopath. Yeah. So emotional intelligence and Stoicism both, te both teach you it's okay to have emotions. But what's important is you don't bottle them. You don't discredit them. You don't just get mad or react. You think about why. Why yeah. is that making me mad? And then once you realize why, then you're able to like dissect and get to a better place. And so working with my kids on helping them do that themselves so that when they get mad, they don't just get mad. They like they're trained for that to be a trigger for like, OK, why is this? Why is this making me mad? Like, is there any validation to this? Or am I just like, is it me? Uh, yeah. Isn't it a shame that that isn't being taught in school? Like that right there, just the concept and the awareness that we as humans have the capability to think about our feelings and our emotions in that way. And it seems like the world's messaging in general, like just what we get from social media is just like, whatever you feel like, and, and what we see represented in TV is very much like the instant re reaction that we have to a situation is valid or, and it is valid, the emotion or the experience, but that doesn't necessarily mean just because it's valid it needs to be acted upon. Right. Yeah. It seems to me that they're missing the second step because the first step is right. Hey, that's how he feels. Let him feel that way. That's fine. That is true. Let him feel that way. That's how he feels. Don't tell him how to feel. That's not going to help anyway, even if he did. Yep. You shouldn't tell someone how to feel, but it is okay to teach them to like control that feeling and in like their own mind, like start thinking through like, why am I feeling this way? Mm -hmm. Because if you're not thinking why I feel this way, then basically what you're just teaching them is it's okay to feel any way you want. And all you're doing is you get good at whatever you practice. So if you practice, not managing your emotions, not understanding your emotions and where they come from, then you just get really good at not being able to manage or understand. But if you practice, okay, I'm mad right now. My reaction is to yell. That's what I want to do. Like I want to yell and parents be like, just let it out. Yell. No, yeah. just, okay. I do want to yell right now. I do want to punch something right now, but that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that because I'm human, but why am I feeling that way? Yeah. What did it trigger? And sometimes the trigger isn't even off of that thing. It's referred. It's it's it, because you've been bottling up, because you haven't been training, 
you are easily triggered, number one. So you're teaching a kid how to be easily triggered, but you're also teaching them how to how to model. Yeah. One of the cool things that I think is pretty well known to most entrepreneurs, at least, or anybody that works on self-improvement is something that they don't, don't teach in school, which is gratitude. It is impossible to be grateful for something and angry at the same time. If you're like thinking about the things you're grateful for, it's impossible, mentally impossible to also be angry. You can't. Either A, you're not genuinely angry or B, you're not genuinely grateful. Like you're not really thinking of how grateful you are for certain things you've got in your life. Why aren't we, we teach the kids to brush our teeth in the morning. We teach our kids to make our bed in the morning. Why don't we teach them to practice gratitude in the morning? Just take three things that you're really happy happened yesterday. We're also teaching that it's not okay to be proud. Mm. If you think about it, saying like, I'm proud that I did this. Is for some people, not all, I think some people are coming around. It's like egotistical. Yeah, I'm glad I did that. I'm glad it's like, dude, give credit to someone else. So it's okay to be proud. I think it's important because if people don't learn how to be proud of themselves, then they're not going to like have this feeling of fulfillment. Everyone wants to feel significant. It's the number one human need, according to Tony Robbins, is the feeling of significance. Significance means we're moving forward. We're making impact. And Pride is a big part of that. And I learned a really cool lesson from a guy named Michael Burnoff. He's top three in the world in NLP. NLP is Neuro Linguistic Programming. Tony Robbins is probably the best in the world at it. It's just using words to make your mind think a certain way and also using your mind to say certain things a certain way. One of the things he says is actually toxic is for a parent to say, I'm proud of you. Ooh. Because I used to say it all the time. Yeah. I'm proud of you. I'm so proud of you. I'm proud of you. So the reason he says it's toxic is because you're the puppeteer holding the strings. So you ever hear like kids are always chasing their parents' improvement and, yes. you know, they're, and so we think the solution is saying, I'm proud of you. But then what happens is that creates this dopamine effect where I need you to be proud of me uh, in order to keep having that. And he says the, the phrase that's better is being like, how proud of you are yourself right now? Ooh. How proud of yourself are you right now? Oh, that's so good. You know, so something like that. So if you if you did something, you're my daughter, and you were like, yeah, you know, I got this A in, in science. This thing, wow, I'm so proud of you. Say, hey, that's awesome. Hey, so how proud are you right now? Very proud. Yeah, I'd be too. Oh, that's so good. Because now they're, te- they're learning how to be proud of their own accomplishments without needing to make someone else. They don't need this like constant feedback that I'm doing things well. Yeah. They're learning how to be proud of themselves and not need someone else to be proud of them. So I thought that was a really cool lesson. And NLP, there's a lot of words like that. Like uh, there's certain words in the RC household that are not allowed anymore. Okay, so tell me about this. You told me you have illegal words in your house. Yeah, illegal words. Like the word need is pretty illegal here. So what that means is I need to do my homework. No, you don't need to do your homework. You want to do your homework. You're not going to die or go to jail if you don't do your homework. You just want to do better in school, right? And you understand that doing homework will help you get there. So do you want to do better in school? Yeah. What helps you do better in school? Doing my homework. Yeah. So do you want to do that? Yeah. Go do it. If you say, I, you know, like I do this with my team as well. It's it's in my company, we address this. So McKenna, my, my team might say, uh, I need to read more. No, you don't need to read more. Because what happens, it makes you in this victim mindset. Like if you don't, you're a failure. But you say, I want to. Now you're making decisions. You're making good decisions to get what you want in life. I need to eat better. I need to work out more. No, you don't. You don't need to work out more. You want to work out more. Yeah. You're not going to go to jail for not working out more, right? But you want to because you want to be more fit. You want to be healthier. You want to be better you. And these are leading steps to that. 
Mike, I want to interject because I don't hear all the other words, but on that one specifically, I feel like for me as an adult, it took me forever to actually understand this concept or to even hear about it. So if you're listening right now, I hope that you're really paying attention because um, this was transformative for me. I'd hired a mindset coach about three years ago, Katie Richardson. She's amazing. Um, and I was working with Katie and I, I was saying, you know, venting, talking about things. And I said, my husband's grandmother, you know, she has vascular dementia and this is happening and now we're going to have to do this. And then later on, then we we have really have to figure this out. And we're going to need to do this. And she was just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. She's like, I really have got to stop you right there. She's like, because the reality is, is, does anybody have a gun to your head making you do these things for her? And I was like, well, no. And I'm, I had no clue where she was going with this. I was like, how could anything I just said be wrong? Um, but she was like, Stephanie, your mindset is that you're being forced to do these things. But the reality is, and what's important for you to see is that you're choosing, you have agency in your life. You have freedom to choose what you're going to do. Nobody is forcing you to, you're choosing to, but whenever you say I have to, and I need to, like you said, you're putting on this victim mentality. And that actually does a lot of, of toxic things inside of your mind and the way you approach your life. And so you've got to rephrase. And she made me re-say, retell her the entire story with changing my words. And it made the difference. My attitude about our situation changed. My hope for the situation changed, like everything changed. And so I love that you just brought that up because I don't think I ever thought about taking that lesson and bringing it to my children, even though it seems like it'd be like a duh moment, like, of course, but like how powerful if they could have that and not wait until they're in their forties to understand the power of your words, you know, in, in that capacity. Hey, powerful parents, Stephanie here. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. Did you know that statistics show that 88% of Americans say they eat dinner with their family every night or a few times a week? I think that's a pretty awesome stat. But if you're anything like me and you're an entrepreneur, then after a day filled of putting out fires and maybe various events, testing your patience, sometimes it's hard to think of questions that can help you really connect with your kids beyond the standard, how was your day? When my kids were just littles, I put together a list of questions to solve this problem and to help us have something to connect with over dinner time. And now I would love to share my curated dinner questions with you. This is good for littles and for bigs. There's lots of different varying questions in there. And these questions are going to help to ensure that the conversation is not just lively, but will bring you closer to your children while you enjoy a delicious meal together. As a listener of this podcast, you can get access to these questions at www.powerfulparentingtribe.com. Once you're there, make sure to type in your best email and I'll have my team shoot over the questions for you. Once you get the questions, I encourage you to make this a family affair. Print them out. Have your kids help you cut them out. We even grabbed a mason jar, and my kids decorated it, and that's where we put all of our questions, and that same mason jar still sits on or near our dinner table to this day. We've been using these questions for close to eight years now, and I've really enjoyed the fun conversation and connection that's come from them. I hope your family enjoys them as much as mine have. Again, that's www.powerfulparentingtribe.com. Now back to the show. Here's a challenge too. This is again, the understanding of it. Sometimes they're so close to being right in whether or not they could use the word, but you still understand how it's wrong. So I'll give you a good example. A few months back, um, Aliana was like, I need to go clean my room. And I said, wait a minute, you don't need to clean your room. She says, yeah, you said I have to. I said, yes, but you can choose to be punished. (laughs) It's true. You can choose. So you don't have you you don't need to clean your room. You can choose to have the consequences that come along with not cleaning it. She says, Yeah, but I don't want those consequences. All right. Well, then so you just gotta choosing. make a good choice. Yeah. So it sounds like you want to clean your room. Yeah. Okay, then then do what you want so that you can get what you want. That makes sense. Ah, oh, so good. 
you don't have to. It's not, so it's good. not a requirement, you know? <laughs> yeah. So what other words, what other words do you have? Try is, is the most illegal word here. We don't okay. say the word try. Did you learn that from Yoda? I learned that from a leadership <laughs> program I was a part of for uh, three years. And I, and I was so bad at it that so, so there were these ceramic teas and tea for the word try. And there were three of them. And there were like 16 of us going to this leadership intensive, no windows, no clocks. You don't know what time it is. You just, you're just locked in there for like two days. One of the exercises was uh, we have to sit around in a circle and there are three ceramic teas in the middle. And anytime you say the word try, we were all having to talk and communicate, right? And ask questions to each other. Anytime anyone says the word try, they have to take the ceramic tea from the middle and hold it. And once all three are out, which record speed, you'll be surprised how much of a common word this is in the human language. Um, once the ceramic teas are out, then the only way to get rid of them is if you hear someone else say it first and you got to get rid of it to that person. Then whoever at the end of like an hour or whatever has all the T's is the loser. Whoever doesn't have a T wins, I guess that's it. So, okay. so 14 people have the opportunity to win, right? Well, in my case, 16 won because I had all three by the end of the game. I had all <laughs> three. I didn't realize how much I said it. And now I, you know, we've eliminated, this was like 2013, 2014. So we're pretty good at not saying it. And in fact, we're very good. We, if you go before me explaining the concept of the word before, or after, I won't, I won't say it. You'll never hear it come out of my mouth. It just doesn't. Um, it's automatic. And same thing with my family and my kids. They don't say it. In fact, they're so good when they have to read their homework and the words in there they translate it automatically. So if the if the sentence says he tried to jump over the bridge, it would say he did his best to jump over the bridge. They don't even think. They don't even skip. They just translate it. Huh. It's amazing. Four kids are not allowed to say. It. And the reason is because when you say the word try, you're not committing to the thing. You're committing to the effort. And, you know, that should automatically be assumed. So, for example, I'll try to do better. Or how about I'll do better? Mm. I'll give you an example how this works, right? It, it, what happens is the word creates a lack of certainty in everyone involved. It creates lack of certainty in the speaker and the person receiving the information. So Stephanie, invite me to a party this Saturday. Quick sentence, invite me to a party. Hey, Mike, you want to come over to the party this Saturday? Yeah, I'll try to make it. What do you already know? You're probably not coming. Right. Ask me again. Mike, will you come to the party this Saturday? I'll be there. I know you're coming. Or I'm not going to be able to make it. Yeah, or you're not coming. Yeah. Speak with clarity, right? That's how leaders speak. And when you speak with uncertainty, you create uncertainty with everyone. If you were the coach of a basketball team and you worked your butt off to get to this final championship game and you got to huddle at the timeout because you're down by one, there's two seconds left. You got enough time for one more play. And you got two players that have been just as good on paper. You can't even tell the difference all year long. They've been your stars. Neither one is better than the other. And you look at your huddle and you say, okay, guys, I'm bringing it down to you guys. One of you two are making the last shot. What are we doing? And the first guy goes, coach, if you give me the ball, I'll try to make this shot. And the other one goes, coach, give me the ball. I will make this shot. Who are you giving the ball to? The one who said, I will make the shot. Why though? Because of one word? Because technically on paper, and we know the reality is they could both miss. Mm -hmm. It's not automatic. It won't go in just because he said it. Yeah. But why are you giving him the ball? Because his certainty injected certainty in you. Yep. And so if you want people to have more certainty in you and have more confidence in you, you got to speak with confidence. And when you speak with lack of certainty, you create lack of certainty in others in you. Mm. And we don't want that. I don't want my kids 
to create a lack of confidence in them from other people. I want people to want them on their team. I want people to want to believe them, to want to trust them. And that comes a big part of the words that you choose to use. And, and there's certain times where it's applicable, right? Like, but you don't use it with food. Typically people say, oh, can I try that? We know how to translate it to you. Oh, can I taste that? Yeah. If it's try this on about an outfit. Hey, can I put that on? Put that on, right? There's no try. I'll try to be there is it sucks. I'll be there or I won't be there. What I will tell you is uh, I've got every one of their teachers has called me at some point. I mean, not everyone, but a lot of them. I probably gotten like seven or eight calls over the last 10 years or whatever. And there'll be a teacher that'll say something like, Mr. RC, I just want to give you a call. Are you aware that Aliana believes that the word try is a bad word? Because <laughs> when they go to school, they don't know. They think it's a bad word. That's awesome. I said, yeah, I understand that. And then she goes, okay, well, is there a reason? Because we do use that word quite a bit in school. In fact, I encourage kids try a lot. And I go, yeah, well, I encourage they do. She goes, yeah, but sometimes they can't. And I go, well, then they do it again. This one teacher said, Mr. Arcy, wouldn't you at least agree that in some cases, the word try is appropriate or applicable to use? And I said, yeah. I think there's a lot of curse words that are applicable in some cases. It doesn't mean you use them. So, oh my gosh. I go, listen, you guys can say it. I'm, I'm not, we're not over here to tell everybody who's right or wrong. You guys say it, do whatever you want. If you believe it's right, do what you believe, but this is what the RC believes. So we're doing what we believe and that's okay. And, and uh, we're not going to call you out, but that's what we believe. Oh, that's so powerful. I love that. Yeah. Uh, another word is should. Should is tied to expectations. Okay. You should have thought of that. Why should I have thought of that? Because you would have with your genetic code, your training, your experiences, whatever you've read, whatever you've learned, whatever you've got hurt by, whatever you've gotten to play, play, all your experiences made you you. So what you're saying is you wish you would whenever that comes up because it aligns with what you've learned, believed or whatever. But I'm supposed to do that. So I should as a even as a husband, right? Like, I don't want to tell my wife what she should have done. You should have thought of that. According to who? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's better is you could have thought of that, maybe. Hey, I don't know. You could have thought of that. I know I could have. I know. I'm, I'm not upset that you didn't. Well, and, and should have is very uh, shame-inducing, right? Uh, whether you're saying it to yourself or you're saying it to someone else. It's like, well, I should have thought of that. Yeah, you should be happy. As opposed to telling me how I should feel, which never works, by the way. Mm. Nobody's ever told you you should be happy. And you just went, you're right, and I'm happy. What's better to say, hey, let me ask you a question. What are you happy about? Mm -hmm. Truly. Another thing I learned from NLP, which is really good and it's really helped with parenting and with my team is, uh, let me ask you a question because this is something that I failed in quick when he asked me this question. So there's a good chance, unless you've learned it, there's a good chance that you just figured out faster than me. You have a daughter? I do. Man, I have three. And I'll tell you, you know, there's certain things that hurt more, right? For daughters and sons. If your daughter came to you and said, mommy, I'm just not pretty. What would you say? Of course, I would start out with, of course you are. Like, you're beautiful. Yeah, that's yeah. what I would say, right? What are you talking about? And like label all the reasons to prove it, right? Like yeah. look at your hair and, you know, this and you got a big smile in your eyes. And you, 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 that's what I did. And then I learned <laughs> the one of the masters in LP, uh, Richard Bandler. He said, you're never going to convince anyone that way. Yes. If I were to say that to you, that doesn't change you. You have to make the decision to see it differently. I'll tell you an exact story of how this happened. An employee of mine who was younger, 21, I think at the time, we were traveling together. I said, hey, let's take a selfie. So we're like, all right. So we took a selfie, you know, to post it. It's our first trip together. We had never traveled together as a team, right? Just us two. And she goes, let me see. I'll do it again. I was like, okay. 
So I took it again. I was ready to post. And she goes, no, 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 do it again. Do it again. It's like three times. And finally, I was like, look, I'm not doing this game. Like, why are we po- why are we taking four pictures? Like, I don't know. I feel like I'm just like ugly in pictures. I feel like I take terrible pictures. So the real response, I just learned this was my first time to be able to use it. And it worked. I said, according to who? Mm. She says she, she had a hard time. She goes, I don't know, me. And I go, okay, well, then I guess according to what? And she goes, some of the girls you see on Instagram. I go, what girls do I see on Instagram? And she goes, well, like, I guess the girls, I like the Instagram models. And I go, okay, so are they judging your pictures that are on my feed? She goes, well, no, I'm just thinking about like how they look versus I look. It's just very, very different. And I go, okay, are you constantly thinking this? Or is this just like right now on the selfie? She goes, well, I'm just right now. And I said, let me ask you a question. Your best friends in the whole wide world, the people that you care about, if they post a picture and it's not their best version of themselves in that picture, how hard are you judging them? She goes, well, I'm not. I go, why? She's like, because they're my best friends. I go, got it. How hard do you think they're judging you? And she goes, I don't think they are at all. And whose opinion do you value more? Your best friends, your family, or the Instagram girls that probably aren't even looking at your pictures? She goes, my best friends. Got it. So what are we taking this fourth picture for? And then she goes, yeah, I guess it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. I go, so what do you want to do? She's like, just post any one of those. And then after that, she never had, she's like, she even told me later on, she's like, yeah, I've never had to post. Like I've never had to take a second picture. Like I, I just post it. We're just good. Wow. wow. So it's reframing. It's helping them get there on their own as opposed to you challenging what they already believe. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so powerful. And I think that it's important for whenever we're doing this parent leadership, because it's really what you're talking about right now. You're talking mm-hmm. about transitioning from just being a the nurturer, the the person who takes care of the basic needs, right? Into moving into true parent leadership. Whenever we want the best for our kids, the pl- the placid type of answers that are generic aren't always going to get the outcomes that we want. And Sometimes we wait around for chances or opportunities for them to have their this own self-realization of things. Like like for my daughter, she's pretty confident. I think she knows she's beautiful. But there's been some times where I can see that that's waned. And I've said, you know, you're beautiful. And I'll point out the physical attributes, but I always circle back around to what's on the inside. And But then I also always try to ask, why? What are you thinking that's leading you to feel this way? And it's almost always either, one, it's an external situation, right? Something that she's viewing and she's comparing herself to, or just internally, she set this improper or just crazy standard. And usually it's because of external stuff, but it's not necessarily directly related at that moment by an external standard, right? It's genetic. It's DNA. Yes. If you think about how humans have evolved, we need to survive and there's survival of the fittest. And so Women and men have constantly worked hard. Men will do these, even in animals, you see mating calls and dances and feathers. <laughs> like we're constantly, we're programmed through evolution to like be chosen, right? And women, the same thing. There's actually this really interesting thing that I remember learning from, you know how like women will be in sync during cycles? Oh, totally. Yeah. You ever wondered how or why that is? <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't get over the balloons. You no. Know, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Why? Do you know why that is? I don't know. It's a real evolutionary thing. Here's the way it works. I was blown away, but it made all the sense of the world. So the truth is, for the the strongest to survive, survival of the fittest, the best chance of that happening is the strongest man and the strongest woman get together. And they will have, uh, by theory, the strongest baby. And then the babies will continue to get stronger and stronger and we evolve, right? That's how it works. And the weakest kept producing. Well, then the children are weak and their less likelihood of survival is less. Well, with that said, 
there's always an alpha male and there's always an alpha female. When women get in sync, they don't get in sync to a random date. They all sync to the alpha female. The reason is because typically the alpha male will choose the alpha female. And that's typically how and the alpha female will choose the alpha male. But if we go back to the old days, long time ago, before there was like, you know, we date and stuff like that, there's just mating. If the woman's off the market, he goes to the next best one. So what this does is if I'm off the market, you're all off the market. Huh. Because I need to be able to reproduce with this man. Now that we don't think this, this isn't happening. It's literally through pheromones. We all women will, will be able to sense everyone's pheromones and know when they're at our cycle. And then evolution causes everyone to sync to the alpha female so that none of them are available. Because remember, we were tribal, right? It's not like it is now where there's dating apps. We were tribal. So the man that we would hook up with is in the tribe. I'm off the market. We're all off the market. When I come on the market, you guys can come on the market because now I'm probably going to be chosen. Uh And so uh, just some interesting stuff. And I don't remember how we got to that point. Genetics. Oh, genetics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we want to be chosen. We don't want to be kicked out of the tribe because we're a tribal species. And unlike tigers, we need our tribe to survive. We are tribal. And so if we know that if we get kicked out of our tribe, um, we naturally will die. And so because of that, we always want to be chosen. We always want to be accepted. We don't want to be outcasts. Our instincts are to be accepted and to be seen and to be seen as best. Mm -hmm. Now, because the world has changed so fast, fast it's it's beat our genetic makeup it's important for us to be able to like redefine what beautiful is it's mm-hmm. important for us to redefine and as a dad I, i've said that i go hey do you think i'm beautiful of course my kids are like yes you're so handsome i go yeah but i'm really short <laughs> you know i'm losing my hair and they say it doesn't matter well what makes me beautiful just you like who you are i go right that's what makes you beautiful so just redefining what beautiful is yeah. As opposed to helping them believe they fit into a definition. And to do that intentionally in our lives. Okay. So Mike, let's go back to like business, right? Business, or if you're listening right now and you don't have a business, life just can get crazy. And mm. what we're talking about right now is a lot of intentionality in parenting. And if you're living a life where you are overwhelmed or you don't find yourself thinking about these things, what is some advice that you would give to someone who's listening right now who feels like, man, I just, I want to think about these things. I I want to teach my kid this stuff, but I just feel like I'm on a hamster wheel. Like what would be your advice? I love studying Stoicism. I think Stoicism, Buddhism as well. Stoicism isn't a religion. It sounds like it is because it ends in ism, but yeah. it's not a religion. It's a way of thinking. Buddhism is a religion, um, but I, I love learning some of the concepts from it. Just like I love learning from all different religions. I'm fascinated by it. Interesting thing about this is Stoicism comes from like 2,000 years ago. Buddhism is anywhere from three to 7,000 years, depending on you know who you talk to. But they're from totally different parts of the world where they didn't meet and different times. And they're very similar in a lot of things. And what's interesting about Stoicism is if you read a lot of the things that people wrote about that were stressful, that were, you know, harmful, that like made them like hurt, made them happy, made them pain, whatever, it exists today. Now, here's the interesting thing. Back then, there was no running water. There was no clean water. There was scarcity for food. People were dying fast, early. Yeah. In horrible ways. No access to medicine or doctors when needed easily, right? There's so many things that if we went back to, it would be like, so, we would die. We wouldn't handle it. We, are, we weren't trained for that. But even though they didn't have all those things that we believe now would cause us to like completely suffer, 
the things that made people suffer then are the same things that make people suffer today, Mm. which means in 2000 years, the same things that don't make people suffer then. And so if we learn to understand those things, that's really who we are. Running water is not who we are. Right. Having a fridge with food in it is not who we are. It's our insecurities around how people think about us, our insecurities about our ability to do things. It's about the pain that we get, um, the emotions that we ride up and down, our inability to control ourselves in certain things. Like Those are the things that are always going to be a problem for humans because they've always been a problem for humans who we are. If we study stoicism, we can understand more about where things come from. And then we can be able to help our our children find a lot better. Like like the word great, right? Great's fucked up. Sorry, I didn't mean to curse. Is I just it? realized. Why is it? Why? It's so overused. It's been redefined. Okay. Like somebody will come home with an A. And you go, oh my God, that's so great. Why is it great? It's not great. 14 other kids did it in that class alone. Mm. It's not great, right? It's good. And there's nothing wrong with good. Yeah. People also redefine good. Good has become okay and great has become good. Yeah. I'm also thinking about awesome. I use the word awesome all the time. And someone said something about that. I was like, yeah, I, know. I don't want to always say awesome. But at the same time, the things I'm calling awesome aren't necessarily awesome. They're good. Yeah. Or maybe they're great. We feel like the word good is not good. Mm-hmm. Like if somebody says, wow, that's really good. It doesn't feel as good. Yeah. And the funny thing is when somebody says, oh, that's great. You don't really feel like you did something great. You just feel like you did what you were supposed to do, right? Mediocre, yeah. I'll give you an example of this where it showed up. My daughter, two years ago, was learning piano, just starting to learn piano. So she wasn't good. She was not even okay. She was probably okay for that time in what she was learning, right? But she wasn't okay. She was bad. because She's in the beginning stages of it. Right. Which is okay to be bad, yeah. Which is actually the best outcome, right? Like, that is expected. That's expected. It's arrogant to think you should be good at something faster than human society is able to be good at it, right? Like, how arrogant are you to think? My aunt comes over. She sees, oh, you guys have a piano. Who's playing? My daughter and I were playing. She goes, let me hear you play. And so my daughter goes and starts playing and borderline okay, because it was a song she was learning. So she got some of the notes right. Pace was off. The amount, how hard she was pushing was off. It was okay. My aunt goes after she finished. Oh my God. That was so great. Oh my God. Wasn't that great? And I go, my daughter goes, it was okay. And then she goes, what do you mean? It wasn't okay. It was great. And she looks at me. She goes, Mike, wasn't that great? And I go, eh, it was okay. And she goes, <laughs> why would you say that? Why would you crush your confidence like that? Honey, don't listen to your father. It was great. She goes, no, it, it was okay. It w- great. And she corrected her. Great is like Beethoven and Mozart. That's great. Wow. I just started playing. I'm Okay. And she goes, yeah, but you did great for where you are. She goes, not really. <laughs> she goes, and it's okay. But I go, I go, baby, are you hurt if I say you did an okay job? She goes, no. I go, why not? She goes, because I'm learning. Oh. Oh. So we've defined what great is. Great is Mozart. Great is LeBron James. Great yeah. is, you know, Adele. The, the decades of effort, oh, yeah. high level of effort consistently with wanting coaching from other greats. That's great. Good is, wow, better than okay. Like, I don't know many people that can do what you're doing. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Okay is, yeah, most people are doing what you're doing. That's it. And this way, when they go to work and they don't get told great job just for showing up on time, they don't feel like a failure. (laughs) Yeah. That is so powerful. How are we doing on time? I've got two more questions for you and I want to make sure I'm respecting your time. Yeah, we're good. We're good. Okay. All of this has been 
so incredible. You've dropped so much wisdom um, that I find just so inspiring for myself along the lines of leadership and for my family as well. But I'd love to hear for you, what has been the most challenging thing that you have had to work on as a father? Not reacting like my father. And by the way, I had a great father. Let me just tell you that. And I will say, great. And, and, and the reason I say that is he hung out with me. He played basketball uh, every day after school with me. He took me to Nick games. We watched every Nick game together th- that we could. Um, I think we probably watched 98% of every Nick game that happened in the 90s together on the couch, you know, watching the game, cheering, high-fiving. He taught me lessons that he, he learned from his father. I, he's, he is in a small percentage of people. But he did do things wrong, like I am. Right. And like my son, Will, I think our only hope is that we're a better father than our previous father. Yes. That's if we could do better, right? That's in any case, I just want to be better. There were things that my dad did that I've learned weren't as good, but it doesn't mean he was a bad dad. It's just, he was doing his best for sure. Right. But I've learned more. There's more information that exists today. I should have an advantage over my father. Plus I had him as a dad. So I already have the fact that I have an advantage there, but there are certain things that, you know, I don't want to do because I w- it was done to me. Mm-hmm. I want to do because I've learned that there's a better way to do it. And naturally, like you become like your master, right? He's been my trainer for my whole life. Uh, but sometimes, like, for example, if I didn't do a good job at something, he would tell me in his way. And I've learned to do it a different way. Right. So anyway, I think the hardest thing for me is breaking programming. Like not like yeah. not reacting, but responding. There's a difference between react is like you just had no control. Respond is you had control. You you deliberately responded in the way that you did. Reacting is like afterwards you, you like maybe would have changed it. How did you work on that? So you, maybe you noticed yourself. Yeah. So what are you doing? What are you actively doing in order to help with that? Is it is it awareness? Like what's the thing that helps you make sure that you're you're choosing how you're going to respond? Just thinking about it probably every day I still do something, whether or like I raise my voice and I didn't have to at that moment for that thing. Sometimes you have to raise your voice, but maybe I raised my voice too quickly, or maybe I got, you know, a little angry too quickly. Just like people have triggers for things to be bad. Triggers usually tied something bad, right? Like you triggered me, right? Well, trigger could be good too. Yeah. And so for me, when I yell, that's a trigger for me now to know that I lost control. Unless I responded with a raising my voice, right? When I get angry, that's a trigger for me because I've associated anger with low intelligence Mm. because if you're angry and you act out angry, that means you weren't able to mentally like understand and control it and and have the poise to like handle this. Um, So when I get angry, which I do probably every couple of times a week, at least I get pretty angry. Um, If I act on it without deliberately doing what I ever acted on, then I trigger it with like, you just act like an idiot. Like you were just an idiot. Bring shame and all sorts of things, which isn't productive or good for you or your kids, right? Yeah, yeah. I've created triggers for myself that when I do things, it creates, it, it, it triggers me to think about it. And so like if, if my kid, you know, something I do, I've raised my voice to my kids in manner, in times that I didn't have to, like I, I, too quick, too quick. Yeah, we have all done that. Yeah, totally. I just did it two days ago. Yeah. And as soon as that happened, like I thought, I was like, all right, how would I have perfectly responded to that? If like I had a, if I had every person in the world that looks up to me on leadership, if I had everyone watching me, how would I have done that differently? And then I always find a way where I would have done that differently than in that case. 
So that that's one thing I work on. I love that. That's a good one. I feel like for anybody, especially if you were raised by someone who, like my mom, she would fly off the handle. And so there was always, like she didn't know how to handle things whenever it was stressful. If the situation in the moment was stressful, then no matter what else I did, it was going to be one of those kind of responses. And so early in my motherhood, whenever I first started, I started seeing this short fuse and I was like, this is not who I want to be. And I I didn't have a framework to understand how to choose to respond versus just reacting in that just because I felt something didn't mean that my actions had to reflect what I felt, but that I could acknowledge it. It took me forever to understand or even to what I call just zoom out and like take an eagle's eye view of the moment. Like as soon as you feel the anger, like just zoom out and like be around the situation, rather right in the middle of the situation. And I think that was like the biggest thing for me was understanding that I could, I was capable of doing that in the moment. I didn't have to get lost to the feeling that I was feeling in that moment, but that I could zoom out and go. And, you know, honestly, I think that that was actually a trauma type of lesson that I learned because if you've been through trauma, you, you learn how to disassociate in the moment. And so I think there's a, unhealthy disassociation, but then there's also the skill that you can learn where you're not disassociating from your feelings or your kids, but being able to zoom out and, and see the bigger picture in the moment instead of having to wait until after the fact. And, um, I don't know. I think that that was such a huge game changer for me because it's so hard when that was modeled for you. It's just such second nature. And I still, I still lose my temper too, Mike. So <laughs> we're not perfect, but we can show up powerfully, right? That's the whole point of this podcast, right? Right. One, one thing that worked really well for me too is reframing their perspective of who I am and who I'm not. Um, so I'm not perfect, but you think your parents are, right? Like you think you're, so what happens is think about times where your parents told you not to do something and then they were doing it themselves. You felt like they were a hypocrite. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Because we expect them to be perfect because they know it. That means they can't do it. You know, there's been times where my uh, actually uh, probably about a year ago. I don't know when it was last. Yeah, it was around last holidays. One of my daughters got pretty mad and she had lost her temper. And I pulled her in the room and I talked to her and I said, hey, listen, it's okay to get upset. That's part of being a human being. We got to think about where it came from and we got to find a way to be better and be able to manage that better on the next time. Every Mm. time we get better. And I said, but just so you know, if you get mad, it doesn't mean anything other than you're upset. And, and same thing goes for me. And now we, we, we reframe the perspective. Most of the time you see daddy getting upset, most of the time, I'm not as upset with you as you think I am. I'm just upset. Mm-hmm. And it could be because my mood, it could be because of something else that happened at work. It could be all that. So when you see daddy getting upset, don't always assume that you made me all that upset. Yes. It could just be that it was the bad time. You called me at a bad time. Just understand, hey, daddy's going through something like right now. And that's what I do sometimes. Sometimes I'm just going through something. And, it, and just like you got mad and it wasn't really that something to be mad about. You even just said it. Sometimes I get mad. And, yeah. and so just understand we're all human beings. We're all learning this thing together, right? And And now when I get mad, I can go, which I've done after that. I go, hey, remember I told you, Sometimes I get mad, but I'm not 100% mad at you. That was an example. Like, you didn't do that, that, that bad. Yeah. Uh, I just, work's been busy and dad oh, just lost. That lost is so good bit. because like, it teaches our kids not to think that everything is about them for one and also to have grace for others, right? Including their mom and dad. It's easy to have grace for mom and dad, right? Oh my gosh. When my, when I, the couple of times I told my kid like, yeah, work's just been really hard. I see them lean in like, really? Like they really care because they care about us so much. Yes, they do. And, and, 
and, and we're their heroes. So think about whoever your hero was as a kid. If you find out that they're like really suffering in something or struggling, like you really are interested because you didn't even know they could feel like that. 100%. I love that so much. Okay, so I have one more question for you and then we'll wrap it up. But Mike, what does it mean for you, for Mike RC to be a good father? Or should we say great because of the context of our conversation? But what does it mean for Mike RC to be a great father? Who they can be when I'm not around and after I'm gone. My job is not to make sure they can behave when I'm in the room. My job is not to get them to behave while they're living under my roof. Um, I believe that my job is a, I believe, this is everyone's beliefs are different. I believe that my job is to prepare them for life without me, to be able to have mental strength, emotional strength, physical strength, you know, and, and make good choices based on a bigger compass and a bigger North Star than just what they think they should do. Uh, according to society rules, you know, like my son's 17. Somebody asked me the, day, the other day, like, what college are you going to go to? And he goes, I don't even know if I'm going to college yet. And then they looked at me they're like, he's not going to college. Why not? And I go, I don't know. Oh, God forbid. <laughs> yeah. Like, we don't know if what he wants to do for a living. Like, yeah. But don't you think it's still a good life experience? Can't you name a hundred good life experiences? I don't want him making a decision to go to college because he feels that's what society thinks would make him a good person or a smart person or a person that's moving forward in life. You know how many people I know that are in their 30s and still going to college, like still taking classes? It's crazy. I'm not kidding. They're like, yeah, I'm taking a college class on this now. It's like, for what? Yeah. But you're always becoming, just become already. That to me is being a good father. So, So to me, that means like, you know, asking them about, you know, hey, what are your failures today? What were your wins today? Like, hey, explain. To I tell them a lot about my fail. They know a lot about my failures, something that I don't think my father would have ever shared with me. Mm. Uh, they know about a lot of failures I've made when I was younger, their age in particular, so they can have more grace with themselves, uh, but also to make better decisions. Mm. Because I remember never feeling like my dad got it. Like for some reason in my brain, I could never imagine my dad as a 16-year-old. So I felt like you don't understand. You don't understand was a constant thing in my brain. You don't understand. You don't know. You don't know. No, he fucking knows. <laughs> like, yeah. He's been 16. Um, he knows. But the problem is if he doesn't show me how he knows, you know, I was able to tell my son about my first breakup. I was able to tell my son about my my biggest insecurity at prom and how that went and 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 like how I messed up a big time relationship. As I was able to talk to him about, about that. And so now he knows I get it and we could talk and he shares stuff with me. And, you know, I have this one cool thing. I tell my kids to be smart and, uh, but be smart means something. They know what that means. I tell, I tell them that there's a difference between dumb people, smart people, and geniuses mm. in this context, in this context, in this context, uh, dumb people make mistakes and keep making them. Smart people make mistakes, learn from them. Don't do them again. And geniuses learn from other people's mistakes and avoid them. So there's a lot of times where my son's about to do something that I already know isn't a smart move. And just like we get mentors to learn ahead, right? And avoid mistakes. I do my best to be a mentor to my children too. So I'll say, you know, have you thought about doing it this way, this way? And if they're still committed, like, I don't know, I'm going to do this. Hey, sounds good. Go be smart. And they know what that means. Oh, gosh. <laughs> what that means is I've already learned this. It's, it didn't work for me. I don't agree with it. But I'm okay with you giving it a shot and learning on your own. Nothing wrong with it. I'm still supportive of you doing it. Go ahead and learn the hard way. Mm -hmm. Go be smart, right? But smart means if it doesn't work, don't do it again. Yeah. Wow. 
Dude, this is so powerful. Okay, so everybody who's listening, if you want to learn more from Mike Arce, which I definitely recommend you do, he's a genius in the business space and obviously has so much wisdom uh, just in general, uh, has just been such a great leader um, throughout the years, just getting to watch and see how he's grown and built his business and his company. And so where are they going to go to find you, Mike? Uh, Instagram is probably easy. Mike RC Live. Uh, A-R-C-E is how you spell my last name. Okay, awesome. And we're going to link that in the show notes. So make sure to go over there. We'll have lots of awesome takeaways from this talk. And Mike, just I can't say thank you enough for coming and just sharing your wisdom with us and, and everything that you've learned. And we're all on this crazy journey together. And it's so crazy that here we are all these years, you know, what we were talking about seven years later, right? And And our kids are growing up and we're doing this thing called life. And I just really appreciate you coming and actually sharing all of this wisdom because there's a lot of things we touched on today that we haven't really talked about on the podcast. And I'm hoping that everybody who's listening, that you go out and you implement and you at least take one thing that you're going to go and you're going to implement inside of your family with your kids today. So thank you so much, everybody for listening. And Mike, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. I truly hope you enjoyed our episode today on the Powerful Parenting Journey podcast. Make sure to hit follow and subscribe so that you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes. You're not going to want to miss a thing. I promise. If you were impacted by this episode, do me a favor and leave a review with a comment. I read every one of them and I also pass them along to our guests. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this episode with them or post it on your social media to share with friends. You can catch the show notes for this episode and any mentioned links at powerfulparenting.com forward slash podcast. If you want to see more behind the scenes with me and my guests, be sure to find me on Instagram or Facebook. It's where we can have deeper conversations on these podcasts. Take care. And remember, it's not about being a perfect parent. It's about taking each day and working on showing up powerfully for our kids. They deserve it. And you are the parent for the job. See you on the next episode.